I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Jules Breach. He's Andy Brussel. And this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. McTominay with a screamer, his first goal at Old Trafford. And then Aubameyang with that VAR equaliser. It's a point apiece at Old Trafford. Manchester United 1, Arsenal 1. Coming up, we'll dissect the Monday night football between Manchester United and Arsenal. We'll also discuss the continuing troubles at Newcastle. And we'll get to your emails and tweets as well. But before we get started with today's show, Andy, first of all... We both had a rather nice time at the Football Ramble Live over the weekend, didn't we? Yeah, you went posh and went to Ali Pali, and I, I kept it real and went to Hackney Empire. I've never been to Hackney Empire, and it was my first time at Ali Pali, so how was it for you? Yeah, it was great. It was great. Very, very enjoyable. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we could say that you know, our, our bit was the best bit of the show. <laughs> but we, we made a little side contribution, we didn't we? We did. We, me and Andy both have a bit of a cameo appearance via videotape during the show. If you haven't been yet, you must get to one of these Ramble live shows. The boys were absolutely hilarious. I was in yeah, stitches well. from start to finish. Everything about it, it's exactly as you'd expect it to be. Although I hear there's there's slight differences to every single show, which is quite nice as well. Yeah, I think for the opening musical number, they could have done with like West Lifestyle stools <laughs> yeah. or, you know, ageing take that <laughs> when they start to like sort of sit on bar stools. And then in the key change, they get up and then they go to their proper seats and sit down well, that, for the that show. Is, That's that is the point at which Pete could take his shirt off. Well, this it? is the thing is you weren't treated to Pete getting half naked at your show, were no, you? No, I wasn't. It was the highlight of mine on Saturday night. He basically did his going for gold bit and it was an absolute shambles because <laughs> someone in the crowd got it right on the first clue um, and he was furious about it and decided to take his shirt off. So 
that was um, entertaining to say the least. Which is funny because people normally take their shirts off at moments of great joy, like <laughs> when they when they score a goal and they get a yellow card for it. Don't he did they? it in pure anger. Did Marcus give me a yellow card for taking his shirt off? He didn't actually. Did he not? No. Maybe he should have. Maybe he should have. So, in terms of actual football, we've had a big Monday night match, which. It kind of creaked under the historical weight of itself a little bit because I don't know. We, we were chatting beforehand, weren't we, in the, in, in the office because we all watched it together uh, with producer Charlie and lots of food. We ordered burgers, chicken wings, chips. Oh, the soul wings! All, oh, oh my goodness! It was just it was it was it, that was actually the highlight of my night. The football yeah, wasn't wasn't too good. I think the fact that we're talking about the food says mm. a, a lot, doesn't it? But. It's it's interesting because I was asking you guys who are a little bit young younger than me. A little bit. Oh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, what were your favourite United versus Arsenal memories? And like mine came up straight away. And especially in the context of Old Trafford, I thought Overmars in ninety eight. I thought Sylvan Viltord's winner, which won them the championship in two thousand and two. I thought way back in the early 90s in 1990 where there was that massive fight on touchline there were point deductions afterwards and all the rest of all the rest of it whereas you guys had to think about it a little bit longer which made me think well you know and a lot of the feedback we got from our lovely listeners which we'll get to some of it in a minute was focused on the fact that this was a disappointing spectacle but I don't know really if it is a like Manchester United versus Arsenal and they this has been a long time coming hasn't it well they're two clubs that are in decline at the moment that are both trying to crawl their way back and have been for a while and have been for a while and yeah. in in the lead up to the game it's funny because i was listening to the radio on my way in into the office and there was a lot of build up to the match and often with a game with two teams as big as they are historically there would be so much to be said about it. But everyone's comments were kind of the same. Everyone was a little bit like, well, it's not the Man United and Arsenal that it used to be. So it's not going to be the same game that it used to be. This used to be a match which could potentially have decided the title. And today, coming into the game, it was 11th versus 8th. Would it, would it have been on Monday night in the old days? Probably not. No, I don't, I don't know if it, it, it would have been. And I think the fact that Sky, on which we watched it, of course, had... Roy Keane in the in, in the studio. Hmm. I understand he's relentlessly grumpy, but the first thing I think of still when I think of United versus Arsenal is Keenan Vieira. Uh, you know, it's, it's very hard to get away from that iconic image. And after that, after not just that that level in terms of the two teams being such high quality, and you know when they battled it out in really the dawn of the the, the Premier League years, and especially in the late nineties. You do sort of think, well, you know, it's not just about the quality. It's about the fact that those were two guys particularly. They stick in your minds because they left everything on the pitch and everything felt Titanic. Everything felt like a struggle. And even when you think of the other memories from like Pizzagate with Cesc Fabregas and Ashley Cole, or when you think of that iconic image of Van Nistelrooy missing the penalty and Keown going up and, and roaring in his face doesn't feel like there's any of that I, I you know I, I think there's talent on both sides but there's not a lot of players you look at there and you think born winner I mean personally looking at last night I think the player who I was most drawn to was Matteo Genduzzi just because 
he feels like maybe he's not quite there yet, but he feels like he's edging that sort of way. And he won't let the crapness of a game <laughs> stop him from That's just word now. battling through it, <laughs> will he? Do, do, do you know what yeah, I mean? He, I won't, he won't let the occasion drag him down. He's like, right, okay, we're going to battle our way to this. We're going to make something out of this. And as well as his intrinsic quality, he does have a little bit of, of, of that spirit, doesn't he? He's got that attitude that I think... Exactly, that's the word. That's Arsenal the word. fans want to see that because that's something that's been missing for a while. It's something that they get frustrated when they see Ozil because he lacks that type of outward emotion when it comes to playing the game and leaving everything out on the pitch, as you were just saying about mm. Vieira and, and Roy Keane. And Gwenduzi does have that. And it's interesting that being a younger member of that squad and being a fairly newer member of the, the team as well, that he was in Arsenal's weird vote for captaincy and he made that shortlist, which shows exactly what an impact he's having on that team, both on the pitch and in the dressing room as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's right. Um, I, I want to get some of the, the, the listener um, feedback from this because you, you have got involved and we're very thankful for that. Um, a, a lot of it talking about the... The, the quality of the game. Um, Joe Matthews uh, saying, uh, how can such a big build-up to a game being followed by the professional football equivalent of putting 22 players on a wet bouncy castle and kicking the ball <laughs> in the general direction of the opponent's goal? Accurate. Great, great question, Joe. Uh, Daryl Geraghty, um, worst standard of football between these two teams in how many years? I, I felt it was quite rubbish last year, to be honest. Yeah. I felt... I, I don't know. It was it was an entertaining enough game, the two two draw at Old Trafford. But I did feel a, I don't know, almost a, a little bit of an emptiness. Like it, it felt like having a McDonald's rather than a GBK, re- really last year, or a beer and burger like we had tonight, for example. For example, all sponsorship encouraged. <laughs> um, uh, uh, interesting one here. Like quite a few people, um, including uh, Alex Holcomb, saying, um, "Is Pepe the new Javinho?" Um, Ebening saying, uh, did Lille have a player Papa instead of Pepe? Something is off with the one Arsenal got. Um, I have a bit of sympathy for Nicola Pepe because he cost an extraordinary amount of money on the back of an absolutely tremendous season uh, for Lille, but on the back of a tremendous season where he was the centre of everything. He was the orchestrator for that team. Now, I don't think they really know where the conductor in that team is going to be. Is it Ozil? No, because he's not in the team at the moment. Is it Ceballos? Well, he's in and out of the team. Where does Pepe fit when Lacazette and Aubameyang is there? And he's kind of have to expected to play a little bit like Lacazette at the moment. And that's not really his his sort of game. I mean, he needs space to, to run into. So theoretically, he should work very well for a new Emery team. But I don't think they have a dedicated spot for him yet. And I think that's what he needs to to find, to really adapt. I, I can understand Arsenal fans being disappointed because it cost an awful lot of money and he has underwhelmed a little bit so far. But with all due respect to Pepe, who I, I admire enormously and I, I thought he was great in France, better players than him have taken six months to settle in the Premier League is, is the only caveat I would add. Arsenal fans will obviously be disappointed that he's yet to score a goal from open play because the only goal he's yeah. scored so far has been what I would call a bit of a sympathy penalty because Aubameyang should be taking the penalties for Arsenal and he handed over the ball to Pepe last week to take that penalty. Pepe is objectively a better penalty taker than Aubameyang. I I, I would say that. 
Would you? Yeah, I, I, I would. So even even if there is a hierarchy, I, mm. I think there's reason behind that. Yeah, but you know, you've 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 summed him up really in that he's underwhelmed so far for Arsenal, and, yes. and part of it is probably to do with with what you've been saying there that. What is his role and how does he fit into this team when everyone's fit and everyone's available to play? And that'll be really interesting to see. Do they know their best 11? Are they close to knowing their best 11? I mean, a, a couple of other listeners, quite a few others have asked about what is Unai Emery's plan? Because he's someone who's known for um, eye for tactical detail. That's not particularly apparent at the moment, is it? It's not. They're just, they're kind of a mush, aren't they? You feel it with watching both of the teams tonight, though, don't fair, you? That there's, there's not really an identity to either of them in the style that they play, except that they're both, at the moment, defensively, not very good. Who, who do you think is closer to forging an identity out of these two teams? Because I would say, at least with United, I, I do feel that they're not going to concede a lot of goals at home, which is a start. Is, is that fair? I don't know if I'm completely with you on that. I, mm. I see both teams being... I, I suppose that with the addition of Maguire, but then you look at the goal that Manchester United conceded against Arsenal last night, it was his fault because he was playing Aubameyang on side. But I, I don't necessarily think I've seen much of an improvement to Manchester United since Maguire and Aaron Wambasaka arrived. And I know Aaron Wambasaka didn't play against Arsenal because he was injured, but for me, there has been no improvement to Manchester United since last year at all. I can't see how anything's improved, mm. despite the fact that they added two very good defenders to the team. I don't think they're playing any better. I don't think their style has improved. I, don't, I haven't looked directly into the stats of how many goals they've conceded at this stage of the season compared to this stage last season. But I imagine it won't be that far different. No, and I, th I think in fairness, when we're looking at Manchester United improving, it's always going to be the front half of the team we're looking at because of what they did in the first 15, 20 years of the, of the Premier League. Mm -hmm. We expect a certain something from them. And, um, you know, maybe Harry Maguire, we, you know, we talked, didn't we, Jules, at the start of the season about what can he actually do yeah. to be what Virgil van Dijk is for Liverpool. And the answer is... There's nothing he can really do to be what Virgil van Dijk is for Liverpool. Because Harry Maguire can play a 10 out of 10 game every game this season if he wants to. It will not make Manchester United champions. It will not make Manchester United anywhere close to being Premier League champions. Because van Dijk was one of the players, along with Alisson and to a lesser extent, I suppose, Fabinho and the emerging Trent Alexander-Arnold, the play, one of the players that pushed Liverpool over the top from a good team to an absolute elite team. Yeah. And United just aren't in that position. That's not Maguire's fault, is it? Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that Van Dijk and Alisson, they were the missing pieces to the puzzle exactly. at Liverpool that needed to complete that team and get them to the top, top level in the mm. Premier League. Whereas with Manchester United, Harry Maguire and Aaron Wan-Bissaka weren't the only things that Manchester United needed. They still need to add a lot more to this squad for it to be challenging for a title, in my opinion. And when you look at the manager in charge as well with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I know a lot of questions are being asked now and he's under extreme pressure. And I do really feel for him because this is a massive, massive 
job. Yes. And it's a club that he supports. So the last thing he wants to do is fail at this job. But at the moment, he's not he's not doing what a Manchester United manager should be doing for the club. But but can he? But can I mean, and that's is, the is question. He, is he set to fail? Is he set up to fail by the fact that there's no management structure there, that there's no real plan there? It looks that way. And when you when you look at the numbers as well, United have only won 49 points from the 28 Premier League games since Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took charge. That's actually two points less than United won in their final 28 matches under Jose Mourinho. And we saw wow. the uproar in that last phase of Mourinho's spell at Manchester United and, and how sort of brutal it got for him. Well, I think when you when you level that up as well, I'd love to see the numbers broken down because he started really well, certainly in terms of results. I mean, I remember the last time I saw United in the flesh was, I would have been a couple of days into January when they played away at Newcastle and they were on a proper rip then. It was about, I guess, just under a month since he got the job and they were on a, they were on a tear. They were winning game after game after game. But, you know, it's, it's something I always come back to about how we use the result to justify what's happened and work backwards rather than actually analysing the game itself and you know the the headline that night was you know United roll on United continue their good run mm. but against one of the poorest sides in the division they were maybe a smidgen better that they they weren't loads better than Newcastle by any, any means and it, it, it took them a while to, to to break through them and it was a very flat very flawed performance in in which they didn't defend well and in which a better team than Newcastle would have would have put a couple of goals on them, and we'll come to Newcastle in a little bit. But that that's a that's a, a different story. So since that initial run of results has has dissipated, that is always the problem, isn't it? When you're not producing identity football or football of a, a certain plan or of a very firm imprint, that yeah. when the results go, what's actually left? Not much. Yeah, and it was reflective on on the pitch at Old Trafford last night against Arsenal it was just a bit grim wasn't it just a bit of a stalemate we were expecting it to be a bit feistier there were a few tackles thrown in here and there but in the pouring rain in Manchester as well we expected it to be a lot more than what it was well exactly I mean there was one big interception I think it was from Xhaka early on where because it had been raining so heavily he stretched for it and then skidded all the way across the pitch and you thought okay well, you know, this, this, could, could, get could, this yeah. could be fun. I mean, John Windmill's written here and said, what is Granite Xhaka good at? Skidding, <laughs> I would say. He's excellent at skidding. <laughs> We've witnessed that in the game last night. He's it, very good at undisputable. skidding. Undisputable. Um, well, the point apiece for both teams means that Manchester United are left in 10th place in the table and Arsenal are in fourth. Just where they want to be. Yeah, exactly in the top four. <laughs> uh, didn't you say someone tweeted as well? We were reading through the tweets. Someone asked where we think they're going to finish by the end of the season and who's going to finish higher and lower. I can't remember who sent that in. Yeah, that's 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 right. I will I will find that tweet at, at some point. I'm piling, wading through an absolute pile it's of so them. popular, Andy. So uh, many people have tweeted you. You can't find it. We, we are so popular. <laughs> the ramble is so popular. Well, what, what do you think? Do you think it's going to be Arsenal? Do you think Arsenal can stay in the top four? I, I'm not 100% convinced. I mean, we were saying, weren't we, when we sat there watching it, Who's going to be the happiest watching this? Leicester. Yeah. If you're in Jamie Vardy's front room, you are having a party. Jamie Vardy's party, yeah. It feels, it feels pretty good, doesn't it? Well, I mean, we'll, we'll get on to Leicester when we talk about Newcastle yeah. in a bit. But once again, they've had another brilliant weekend. They'll be looking at the likes of 
Manchester United and Arsenal who played each other last night and be thinking, if that's what we're competing with to get into yeah. the top four, we're in a pretty good place. Yeah, and there's a deeply flawed Chelsea, even though there's a lot of promise there. There's a lot of stuff to, to work with. And that's why we look at Chelsea slightly different from Manchester United and Arsenal, mm. because you feel at least they're they're building something quite organic, which, you know, Chelsea fans have a, every right to feel excited about. I would say, if you were looking at both United and Arsenal, I feel there's there's more room to improve for Arsenal. I, I just don't really see where United are going, period. Uh, of course, that they have got young players of promise, but I think that Arsenal will, at some point, find a tactical plan. They will find their best 11. There are players there who are going to get better. And I would say in the short to medium term rather than in the in the long term. I mean, I think there are young United players who will get a lot out of this season, led, of course, by Dan James, but there are there, there are many others. Um, but, but do I see it coming together in the, the form of a strong team? I'm not 100% convinced. I think that when you look at the two teams and you compare them, for me, I think Arsenal will finish above Manchester United. I don't know exactly where in the table, but I think that, they are a much better team and they have better individual players, in my opinion, at the moment that are performing than Manchester United do right now. I think we've already seen with United that injuries to a couple of key players can really affect them. If Pogba's out the team, Martial's out the team, mm. if Marcus Rashford picks up an injury... And he's not Harry, been playing well at the moment, which hasn't. is really affecting them. And if Harry Maguire gets an injury, I mean... that this team will almost fall apart without mm. kind of that solid spine that we talked about earlier on uh, in the season, at the start of the season, that they'd, they'd been kind of building around. So I I think that Arsenal are better set to finish above Manchester United. And it's purely because they have a, a goal scorer in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who I think is absolutely brilliant well it was it was a tremendous finish like you say Jules and um, I, I feel at this point maybe we should stick up or maybe I should stick up for the for the refing team a, a little bit um, because uh, we've got Jake Callahan who's written in is that the worst call from a linesman ever and uh, Alan Cresswell saying can you imagine Vaughn Aaron not Cresswell Alan Cresswell he's his brother um, can, can you imagine Vaughn not existing for that Aubameyang goal which I, I think is a good point if, if there's ever a moment that's going to convince you can convince anyone that VAR is a good thing that's it Offside I, I mean, said I, it last week didn't I we? think I feel very inclined to say that's reasonable human error it's very easy to sit there and look at the slow-mo and say oh well that's that's obvious he's mm -hmm. clearly onside and when you freeze it yeah he is clearly onside but it's not frozen. It's a live football match. And it's very and I quick. Think, it's a lot quicker than it may look. Exactly. You're talking about modern football, which is more athletic and more faster than football ever before. We're talking about Aubameyang, who is absolutely lightning quick still, despite getting to 30. And I think as well, if you look at the freeze frame from when the ball is played through by Saka, who I thought was really, really good again, by the, by the way. Um, that's a, a question that Incognito Football has, has, has sent in for us. Thoughts on, on, on Saka? I thought he was terrific again. Um, when the ball's leaving his foot, Aubameyang is behind Maguire, of course. We know that when we see the freeze frame. But he's very much facing forward, of course. And Harry Maguire is leaning the other way, which I can understand, especially when you 
work out that that's happening in real time. Yeah. I, I can understand where the, yeah. where the assistant's coming from. And also the linesman, we don't know what his eye line was at the time. He could have been looking in a, you know, not looking across his line there, which I don't know if that's meant to be. He was stood right he next to stood, Harry Maguire. Yeah, but he, he could have been sort of looking in another direction and not quite seeing the exact, we're, we're kind of acting this out at the moment, which I know you can't see. Um, but like you say, it's human error and that's what VAR is there for. And, yeah. and we talked about the the pros and the cons of it last week and without going kind of too deep into it, again, one of the main pros for me is that we won't ever see an offside goal ever again in the Premier League, which has to be a plus. And in situations like this, goals like that will be allowed because we'll be able to go back and correct them. And Aubameyang was asked about, it wasn't he in the, in, in the flash, about what what he felt about the, the the joy of it being curtailed. The joy of it wasn't curtailed at all. Got to celebrate it was twice. Just, well, well, it was just, well, they didn't really celebrate the first time because <laughs> the flag was up, did, didn't they? But the fact that there was that delayed reaction, yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I really like that. I, I actually quite enjoyed that. Yeah, definitely. And, and the thing is, is with Arsenal, when you've got a player like him who's such a good finisher, they will win games when they don't deserve to win games. I'm not saying that was the case last night. Yes. But... When you've got someone that can score goals, it doesn't matter how bad you are defensively. We've seen it with Liverpool this season. They've not been at their defensive best, but they've still managed to win games because their front three are so good going forward. And I think Arsenal have got that with with Aubameyang. They've got a player who, even when Arsenal play bad, will still score goals. So in summary, if he keeps scoring and Bert Leno has a blinder of the season, they're going to finish in the top four. <laughs> Probably. They can just busk the rest. That's, that's what it's looking like at the moment, yeah. though, isn't yeah. it? It is. There's well, never there's never a dull moment being an Arsenal fan at the, at right now because they can be so shocking at the back, but then brilliant going forward. And then all of a sudden you've got a game on your hands and they've showed character the last two matches to come back from being a goal or so down to come back and get something out of the game. Yeah, I've noticed defensively. I, I, I don't think... Socrates has any tears left in him. <laughs> I, I think he's, he's he's all cried out. <laughs> One of the other things we spotted, Andy, when we were watching the game together is we were analysing how different footballers look in the rain with wet hair. <laughs> we spotted a few what we thought were bald patches, didn't we? We are like, are they ageing? They've aged right before our eyes in the rain. Yeah, well... <laughs> David, it's, it's you, were, up north. you were trying to picture David Louise with a bald patch and a ponytail. Yeah, I was. I, <laughs> I, I, I can see him fronting a, a Brazilian status quo tribute band. <laughs> Not a good look at all. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We've got to look at the situation and say he's, he's got more points than Rafa got last year at this moment in time. And I still don't know why Steve's getting some stick Rafa didn't get any stick, and Steve is. I just don't understand it, but there we go. It's the moment that you've been waiting for, Newcastle United fans. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you want your team discussed, or if you don't want your team discussed, just as importantly, or you want us to discuss a more general issue because we had a lot of feedback on the, on the VAR chat from last week that we'll get to in a bit. Uh, you can mail us, of course, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. You can always tweet us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, at Football Ramble. Um, we are going to talk about Newcastle United, who had a, a pretty grim Sunday, a black Sunday, as Cypress Hill would have it. It wasn't good, was it? Bless them. <laughs> I feel I do feel bad for Newcastle at the moment because nothing is going their way. The thing is, I I looked at that before the start and um I don't have any money on it, but I, I did think they're gonna get absolutely thrashed. Well like, I mean, like Leicester look decent at the moment. And then you factor in the the Hayden sending off before half time. I mean it it was interesting afterwards to hear Steve Bruce saying how disappointed he was and to say he, he expected more from the team when that when that when they went a man down, but essentially, it really make a massive amount of difference. I mean, they they weren't going to get anything out of it—a goal down and and down to ten men. I, I understand that effort is the bare minimum you expect, but I thought um, Micka Richards made some really interesting points on it on on match of the day too. He did, yeah. Where he was saying. You know, when it's one of those days, when you're 1-0 down to a better team and you go down to 10 men, you feel that you're still putting it in, but nothing's really happening. It becomes hard to give everything. Mm. I, I understand where he's coming from there. I completely get where he's coming from there. Leading into the match, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how much faith I had in Newcastle getting something from, from Leicester. I transferred in two players into my fantasy team both Leicester players really? I transferred in both a defender Sonchu and an attacker in Tillerman so right. that, that's how much faith I had in Newcastle I, I knew that Leicester would keep a clean sheet and just your I, luck uh, the, only, the only two didn't score honestly I know <laughs> I thought that as well I thought because I had Madison in my team before so I needed to swap him and I, was, yeah. I didn't want to lose out on any Leicester attack but I couldn't get a, a striker in so that's the thing of course you make a great point they did it without James Madison they did it without Madison in the team he was watching on in the crowd smiling from ear to ear as he always is a I happy bet. man at the moment Yeah, but Leicester were excellent 
Newcastle, I mean, they were pretty dreadful. So the thing is, is Leicester are a very, very good team right now, but Newcastle didn't really make it difficult for them, did they? No, they didn't. Um, but I, I would say how much are they capable of making it difficult under under current conditions? I think the, the best they can hope for, um, and I guess you use the Tottenham game as a, as a template, is they go away from home, they set up pretty much as they would have under Rafa Benitez, and the, the other team doesn't play that well, mm. and they, they, they just tough it out. In this game, if Leicester got a goal, an early-ish goal, it was always going to be too steep a climb because the, the difference between the two teams and their current playing resources is so large. Now, I can understand from a Newcastle fan's perspective, you're looking at that and thinking, well, hang on, we've got a stadium that's nearly twice the size of ours. Why shouldn't we be in the position that they were? And you look at that and it is an endemic fa- failure in in terms of the way the clubs run. There's There's no doubt about that because, you know, they're... In receipt of the Premier League money, they get over 50,000 fans every week, even with fans really getting the hump and a lot of them feeling that it's a completely hopeless situation. Mm-hmm. They're still getting 45,000 bums on seats, even though it looks as if that support is actually beginning to, to to ebb away. So, you know, I think the frustration really in recent years, I suppose, for Newcastle fans has been like being outgunned in the transfer market by progressive teams like Brighton, like Huddersfield were when they first came up. When you're being outspent by those and those teams are getting players that maybe you should be interested in, that's when it begins to feel a bit hopeless, I think. You mentioned the fans there a moment ago and just reflecting back on last weekend when Newcastle hosted Brighton at St. James's Park, there were actually quite a few empty seats, which is not something we're used to seeing at St. James's Park. It's conspicuous, isn't it? They have an extraordinary fan base and they're such a hugely well-supported team in the Premier League. And we've seen that even when they've gone down to the Championship and then mm. bounced back again. Their support is... They're, you know, they're diehard supporters, aren't they? And and they, yeah. were, they were brilliant at the King Power Stadium. Just, even when the team were three, four, five nil down, they were still there singing and clapping and cheering their players on. So fair play to to the Newcastle supporters for being there. But I'm completely with you on this one, Andy. I just think that they're just in a bad position right now to be able to do a great deal more against these bigger, better sides in terms of a Leicester City who are playing very well at the moment against your Liverpools, your, you know, your Manchester Cities, obviously. And and it's it's hard to compete with them when the infrastructure at the club and everything that's happening with Mike Ashley at the moment, I don't feel like they're in the position where they can compete. No, they're they're not, Jules. And I mean, an afternoon like this is demoralising, but ultimately it's not the sort of game that's going to make or break the season because Leicester are in a different part of the league to them at the moment. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And really, you know, the the ones that are going to matter to them is Brighton the previous week and when they play Villa and Southampton and and teams like that they're the ones that are going to matter but for those fans you know you can understand just just those empty seats and and just the weariness the feeling that nothing is ever going to change and Mm. you you know I I know some people in some quarters mock the 
the, the catchphrase from last season, if, if Rafa goes, we go. But it's not just about Rafa Benitez himself, is it? It's about what he represents mm. because he was really the last beacon of hope. They had a head coach there who was a far better pedigree of head coach than they could have rightfully expected. When you look at where the club's been and how the club's been run in the last decade. And he was someone very much like a manager who takes in a, a star player who's never quite fired and thinks, you know what, maybe I can be the guy to change him. Maybe I can be the guy to make this player realise his potential. And it's probably going ha- not going to happen, but you're convincing yourself that you can be the one to do that. And I think when Rafa Benitez saw Newcastle United, he actually saw a lot of Liverpool in them because they're a club that uniquely connects with their local area. And most of the fans, the large majority of the fan base, just get it you know they've got such an affinity with their club and he thought well you know what if I can get a little bit more money if I can convince the owner of my plan then maybe I can get us somewhere maybe I can get us back into the top half of the table regularly maybe I can get us into Europe and because of the club which Newcastle is a unique club they're not just another club who hasn't won anything for ages if you go up there and you spend time there most of those fans don't have unreasonable expectations what they have is a club that's absolutely central to the city like geographically you can walk there in 10 minutes from the central station you just walk out of the shops and the pubs and it's there it's not like a normal football ground you've got this massive 55,000 capacity football ground right in the middle of the city centre which is an extraordinary privileged position and it really affects the way that that fans think about their club and, and feel about their club and Rafa Benitez was clearly very taken by that and thought if I can just get a little bit of resource if I can just get a little bit of backing for my plan I can create something special here because he was someone who didn't just want to do better with the team but he was someone who invested in the community and just like his family really embraced life in Liverpool. And of course his, his family still live there. He really embraced life in, in Newcastle as well. You know, he'd go and spend time with um, underprivileged people in the area, um, disabled supporters clubs. He was involved with the fans, lots of stuff that he didn't do for publicity, but just because he felt the affinity with the people and, that's why they responded to him. Yeah. It wasn't just that his team got stuck in and made the best of their limited abilities. So when he went, it was like a bit of hope was extinguished in, in a way. And, you know, I understand that a lot of people in the media have, have stuck up for Steve Bruce and saying, oh, well, people aren't giving him a chance. It was never about Steve Bruce. And yeah. it's not about Steve It'd Bruce the right same now. Whoever yeah. took the job after Rafa. And, and maybe, maybe Steve Bruce, you could say, is not up to the job. I I think that's open for debate and I think it's open for debate whether they could have got anyone better than him in the circumstances and with the club having the image around football and in the general public that it, that it, that it does at the moment, but it's not about Steve Bruce and, and Newcastle fans know that it's, it's not really what they wanted, but if you fire him, I don't know, does it make an enormous amount of difference? Does it transform the squad? Maybe you can get a coach that can do a little bit better than him. 
but maybe you can't. I mean, say if they'd have gone for the the Cowley brothers, for example, which would have been a far more exciting um, idea, for example, would they have come? I like to think maybe they'd have seen the possibility. Maybe they'd have seen the opportunity. But football's a pretty small community mm. and people talk, don't they, Jules? And I think when you talk to people, that they know what a, what a hospital pass that, that job is. It was going to be a difficult job for whoever took over after Rafa Benitez because mm. of all the things you've just said there. He was this shining light on that club when they were going, th- when they were and are still going through a really tough time at the moment with with the owner and Steve Bruce just isn't seen as an aspirational choice, and no. I think that's no. the problem is that with Rafa, they had a manager who has an extraordinary CV, first of all. He has pedigree behind him. And then on top of that, the fans absolutely loved him and and really took to him. And the difference with Steve Bruce is that he doesn't have those elements that you've just described there with Rafa Benitez. And for that reason, there's there's going to be a shorter tolerance from the fans because of Mm. it. There's going to be, it's going to be easier for the fans to dislike him. It's going to be easier for them to say, oh, this isn't working, you know, let's get rid of him, let's get someone else in. But when you when you put that on top of the fact that there's all the problems going on off the pitch with the board, as well as the fact that the performances on the pitch aren't delivering, this then collectively looks very messy. Yeah, it does. And... um I just wonder how many times it would take them to get relegated because obviously they've been relegated twice in the Mike Ashley era already for Ashley to say, you know what, this just isn't worth it anymore. You know, it, he's he's felt close before, but where is where is the cutoff point? Mm. Because you've you've got an owner who doesn't even seem to see how important it is. You know, you can say all he cares about is is the TV money, but yet it doesn't seem to care enough to want to protect it because if I was in his position and say, I only did care about pocketing the TV money and I didn't really want to win anything. I would be saying, well, you know what? We've got to have the the best coach possible at a certain budget. So, you know, probably Rafa Benitez and we've got to spend a bit more on players to make sure we stay up. Even if you're just at that Watford level, I mean, uh, obviously, on the, this season, not actually, a great example. Actually, above Watford right but, now. <laughs> but, but on on the on the whole, you yeah. look at you look at Watford. They've not spent a fortune mm. since they've been up, but they've never been close to getting relegated. Certainly not before this before season, now, and, yeah. and, and we'll see how that that pans out. But I think with a little bit more effort, Mike Ashley could actually make his life a lot more comfortable, as well as making following Newcastle United, a more edifying experience for the for the people who pour their heart and soul into it every week. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a huge challenge for Steve Bruce to kind of get things ticking on the pitch. It was the first time since 2018 in December against Fulham that Newcastle didn't have a single shot on target in an entire 90 minutes. You see, I was expecting you were going to say 2015, but no, 2018. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, you know, it's over, well, just under a year, but... They didn't have a shot on target in a game against Fulham. Yeah, I know. Is that right? Game finished nil-nil last year. Oh, my God. But this is the thing, is that it's not working on the pitch. And 
Steve Bruce had some really strong words to say in his post-match press conference. I think the reporter, I forget who it was, asked him, what did you say to the players after the game? And he Mm. said... I don't think you want to know. It's not worth repeating. And I was thinking to myself, I really want to know now what you said to the players. <laughs> what did, didn't he say? Have the day off. Is that it? The way that oh, I, that's he, a bit disappointing. He, he cancelled training, didn't he? Because oh, he was he was so annoyed. That's it's a bit boring. Yeah, I was expecting some stronger words than that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's the equivalent of the French fitness coach uh, <laughs> at South Africa 2010 throwing his uh, stopwatch in the bushes when they refused to come off the bus. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, excellent. Well, as always, we love hearing from you guys. You can tweet us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, or if you'd prefer to send us something a little bit longer, send us a bit of a story, uh, then it's Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. And loads of you have been in touch this week once again, so thank you. Yeah, uh, lots VAR related. Um, some, some of them have got great titles like James Hood won, the James Hood's one, Don't Mention the VAR. <laughs> very, very nice, James. Um, Adam Johns has, has, has sent one in as well um hello jules and andy uh, the amount of zooming in on the still image for var plus drawing of lines <laughs> takes an amount of time that is never going to give a positive experience for any every anyone watching my idea for policing offside is that the var officials should look at a still image from when the ball is played and unless they can give an affirmative offside with the naked eye then this is onside similar to the forward pass rule in rugby <laughs> cheers really enjoying the show and uh, that's one of a, a, a number about var We've we've got uh, one from Oliver Carlton regarding seventh place in the Premier League. Afternoon or first email I've ever sent into a podcast. Love the new show. Makes my commute as a teacher even better. Thank you, Oliver. I'm a Middlesbrough fan. Oh, my dad, he feels your pain. You, you, you love that already, don't you? And I was listening to your uh, thoughts on the ceiling on England's glorious top division and fans being bored. I wonder what you thought about the opposite. Is it really what sh- some clubs should strive for? I remember the lovely days of Steve Hare Island McLaren and coming back <laughs> against Bucharest. Surely teams like Palace should look to teams like Leicester and Thinley. That's it. That's what we want. Keep up the good work, guys, and good luck to Brighton this season. Oh, thanks for that. He's ticking all your boxes, isn't he? I wasn't. Is he making this up? He's not a Borough fan and he's not wishing Brighton good luck at all. Have you just made that one up, Andy? No, no. (laughs) I've I've not made it up. Uh, My favourite one this week, though, is from uh, Paul Holloway, which says... uh, Hey, Jules and Andy, just listening to a pod from Tuesday. If you like pizza and you oh. find yourself in Melbourne, then try oh. uh, 400 Grady. They do some awesome Neapolitan pizza. They've supposedly won several pizza world championships in recent years. Cheers, Paul. Do, do you reckon we could... Paul, that's a bit far. Sign that off on expenses? <laughs> do you reckon? I don't think so. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, as always, for listening. And thanks for all of your correspondence. Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com to get yours in for next week. I'm heading to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium tonight to watch them take on Bayern Munich. Can they Wunderbar. get a win? Oh, it's going to be exciting. Looking forward to it. More Champions League action. What are you up to this week, Andy? I'm going to be on the other half of North London. London. I'm going to be at Arsenal Standard Liège on Thursday. Wonderful. Enjoy Hopefully that. they'll be bringing some waffles. Everyone <laughs> loves, it, loves a Liège waffle, right? Love a waffle. <laughs> oh, love a waffle. That's a great Final way to words. end it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> this was a Stakhanov production. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.